Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Long Shot Podcast, brought to you by 342 Productions. I'm your host, Duncan Robinson, and I'm here with my good friend and current bachelor, Davis Reed. Is the current bachelor right? Well, just out of the fact that you're not yet married. I guess that's fair. I think I lose the bachelor coinage when I get engaged, though. That's fair. Uh, so anyways, we are checking in from Kansas city. Uh, we're out here in, uh, what do you guys call this state? Uh, my parents' basement. Okay. Uh, we're out here in Davis's parents' basement and, uh, we got a fun episode for you, but we really have a fun week in store. We got a little bachelor party mixed in with a big weekend where you and your beloved fiance will be engaged in holy matrimony. Yeah, it's right. We, we're also recording with a live audience for the first time. We are. There are a couple guys hidden off camera that it adds a new uh, pressure to you and I. A little bit of nerves. Uh, I'm fighting here. Uh, live audience is something I'm not normally used to when it comes to podcasting. Right. In other venues, I'm a little bit more familiar and comfortable with it. Although we've talked about doing a live podcast. We so have. maybe this is a fitting time to plug that. Potentially. I mean, uh, nothing is in the works. No, no. It, it might be in the horizon. I think that's probably, you know, summer of 2022 things. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you never know. If you'd come to a live podcast, go ahead and smash that like button. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, we got a good episode for you. Bobby Portis uh, was awesome. Great interview. Ton of energy. Ton of insight. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to run through a little uh, quick run of show so we can get right to that. I've seen some comments in past videos that we play footsie off camera, and I did just tap your foot, so I just want to get ahead of that. That was entirely unintentional. Yeah, un- completely unintentional. Uh, unintentional on a variety of levels, uh, and, and now there's actually a little bit of discomfort in the room. Here's the thing. So it's a big week for me. Huge week. I'm getting married. Honestly, I would argue it's maybe a bigger week for you because free agency is around the corner. Instead of comparing, I'd rather just say it's a, a big week for the Long Shot Podcast. A this massive duo. week. Yeah. It Collectively, uh, we have a whole lot on our plate and on the horizon. But it's the beautiful thing is it's all good things. Wedding August 1st, free agency opens August 2nd. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on. There's an outside chance that I will be taking phone calls at the reception. <laughs> I asked you to go on silent for 15 minutes during the ceremony. I can do the 15. Uh Outside of 15, then you're borderline getting into the territory of selfish. Right. I understand. Because I have, uh, you know, future uh, implications will be on the line, uh, all things considered, that, uh, yeah, the August 2nd is the start date, but as many know, free agency begins prior to that. Yeah, well... I'm of the mindset that everybody eats. So true. why don't we, we could just make August 1st a celebration for both of us. Maybe we flip the wedding into like a celebration I don't love for that because too. that's that's your day. You mm-hmm. know, we're out here in, in your home state, your home city. Uh, it would be somewhat selfish of me to then steal some sort of spotlight. The 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 fewer, uh, you know, amount of free agency talk that we can engage upon, the better in mm-hmm. my wise. I'm going to go completely counter to that. And I'm going to ask you just to break down what, this week is like for you. So you're a restricted free agent. Yes. Yeah. Which That's how it works. Can you explain to the people what that means? Yeah. Restricted basically means that uh, Miami holds my rights. So they, to kind of put it in layman's terms, they have the final say in where I end up. If I do go out and get an offer sheet from another place, they have the final say in matching that. If they do choose to match it, they have 48 hours to match the uh, the offer sheet, and then that would make me return to Miami on that same contract that I signed. So that's 
in comparison to unrestricted free agency, which is the more traditional version of free agency that you see where it's basically, you know, you can just point and shoot, choose wherever you want to go and sign for whatever amount you want to sign for. So in that scenario, is it impossible for you to even begin to think of options? Well, we're, we're not going to get into that. Oh, okay. Um, you know, this will be coming out on Thursday. So I, I, I think at this point, I'm a little bit further along than I was last week when we checked in with Shams. Uh, but still, with that being said, I'm far away from knowing how this next week is going to play out. I get it. We'll keep there's this still, just there's still No, no. Truthfully, there's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, a lot of things still need to happen. At this point, hopefully you're listening to this on Thursday. The draft hasn't even happened yet. A lot of movement usually transpires uh, around the draft because teams are shuffling and trying to move up and acquire picks and you know trade picks for players and do all sorts of things. Makes sense. You mentioned how it's a big week for me. I'd actually push back on that and say it's an even bigger week for you. But I'm also then going to selfishly take some <laughs> take some uh, credit here because I'm a firm believer that we would not be embarking on this wonderful weekend if it was not for me. Well, why do you say that? So to give people some context here, uh, our our story, Davis and I's story, has been told a little bit, but we met at a uh, at a prep school. Postgraduates at Phillips Exeter Academy. Yeah, not just any prep school. Yeah, Phillips Exeter the Academy. Yeah. Phillips Exeter yeah. Academy. A, a wonderful establishment. Anyways, Davis comes in off the plane, fresh off the plane, you know, green in so many different ways. And pretty much right from the jump, you and I, you know, develop a friendship. The basketball thing, uh, we connected on a, on a couple different levels. Music, interests, all sorts of different things. Uh, anyways, at this point, you had recently gone through a breakup of sure. some sorts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you had left your high school girlfriend, Casey Ice, behind. Wow. Full government. Full government. Uh, we're just throwing it out there for the people. A lot of information disclosed on this episode. I did not know we were getting in-depth into my But anyways, Casey goes to the, the University of Kansas. Davis is in New Hampshire. They choose not to involve themselves in a long-distance relationship. Correct. Separate for the time being. Anyways, as the year goes on, it becomes abundantly clear that Davis is missing a piece of him. I wasn't right. And that a piece of him is still in Kansas. Now, as seniors at Phillips Exeter, as well as postgrads, you're asked to write what's called a meditation. It's a 10-page paper, and you're supposed to write it on something that's personal to you. Yes. You also, after writing this paper, you perform it. I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, you read it to the... You read it to your entire English Yeah, there's class. music involved. Yeah, like it becomes there's a, a song selection. It, it's basically like, it's almost like an open mic type setting where you go up and you share something that's really personal to Correct. you. And you work on it for months. Well, yeah. I had the, the privilege of hearing your meditation, listening to your meditation. Yeah, that's right. And of course, it was centered around the one thing that was likely on your mind the most, which was... <laughs> Your high school sweetheart. Well, a little. I'll provide a little context. Again, did not know we were getting into depth in my relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think it's required to some extent. Yes. So Casey and I met when we were 13 years old. We dated through high school. Correct. Decided we didn't want to do long distance, like you said. I didn't know what I wanted to write this paper about. It's a daunting task to write a 10-page paper about something incredibly personal to you. And I remember my English teacher. Shout out to Miss Rowe. She said, "What? What are some things you don't want to write about?" Ooh. And the first thing out of my mouth was my ex-girlfriend. The little reverse psychology trick. Classic. Just, it's, a, it's too fresh. Yeah. And she said... Too well, much too soon. Too too soon. 
And so she said, well, that's obviously what you should write it about then. Wow. So yes, I, yeah, conti- I, I continue. So I have the privilege of, of hearing you share this story. And it was one of those moments where like you're listening to it, it you know, it, it be spoken and you just have chills. You know, I will say you're a pretty talented writer. Uh, you have an ability to kind of like create images with, wow. with your work. Anyways, no, keep the compliment after coming. no, we're what done else? there. After hearing the story, my immediate reaction was she needs to hear this. And at this point, I had zero relationship, friendship, anything with Casey. But I was set on the fact that if somebody wrote these types of words about me, I would need to hear them. I would want to hear them. So I took the burden upon myself to go out of my way to make sure that she read those words. Now, I asked you for permission. Yes. I approached you That's and I right. said, Davis, I, I, I think after hearing this. We were this, sitting in this basement, yeah, actually. I, was, uh, I, I took a trip out to Kansas City uh, and I said to you, I was like, you know what, Dave? Like, she has to hear this. And you reluctantly agreed to yeah. share it with me. We hadn't spoken in months, Casey yeah. and I. And then I proceeded to go onto Facebook. <laughs> That's right. I went on Facebook. At this point, you guys had, had unfriended each other, I think. That sounds right. So we had zero mutual friends. So it took a little bit of a deep dive. Once again, I did most of this behind your back. Once I got permission, I did the rest <laughs> behind your back. I did a little Facebook deep dive. I found Casey Ice on Facebook, zero mutual friends. At this point in time, if you wanted to send a message to somebody that you had zero mutual friends with, you had to pay 99 cents <laughs> on Facebook. So I pulled out my debit card. And to this day, it's the best 99 cents I've ever spent. And I sent it to her. I got a response a few days later. Understandably, she was a little bit overwhelmed, didn't quite know how to place it. But that originally bridged the communication gap. And I think, what, two, three short weeks later, you guys were just back on the horse riding into the sunset. Yep. I got a message a couple of weeks later that said, hey, we need to talk. Because you didn't. You didn't lead on that I knew you were sending the paper. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, was, that was actually a pretty uh, crafty play by yeah. me is I tried to act. Well, I acted to her like you didn't know. And I was just doing this out of like a certain level of conviction deep inside of me yeah. that she just needed to hear these words. Um, but anyways, that's why I say I'm largely responsible for not only the entirety of your relationship, <laughs> but this entire weekend that we're, we're now a part of. I was very, when you first started to take this much credit. I was a little hesitant, but you know what? You do deserve some. Casey doesn't love that you take as much credit as you do. Well, and she's under the impression we would have gotten back together regardless. And I don't think I she, think I expedited the process, and I don't think there's any denying that. Yeah, I mean, look, man. I don't know. Thank you. I guess yeah. is is that what you're looking for? I mean, regardless, we've probably given, with all due respect to your love story, we've probably given a little too much airtime. No, I agree. Let's uh, let's transition <laughs> here to the uh, Reddit question of the week. All right, what good. Let I want to get some. Let's get to, to some basketball. So my Reddit question of the week comes from Max yourself, mm-hmm. and they ask, "Who would win in a game? All time LeBron teammates or all time Durant teammates?" And you can maybe argue a couple of these guys. Actually, I, I don't think you can. But the, the list they gave were Kyrie, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Chris Bosh, Anthony Davis yep. for LeBron's team, Steph, Harden, Clay Thompson, Durant, Draymond Green for Durant's team. So I, I think maybe the one you can argue here is 
Maybe you go Abaka instead of Draymond Green for Durant's team. Yeah, I I think assuming that we're all we're talking straight prime here, right? Yes, and let's stick to the list that's given in the question. So let's go Draymond. Okay, for, yeah, on, on we'll KD's stay with team. Draymond. So obviously, overwhelming amount of talent on both sides. Well, sure. The reason that I'm going to go with have we learned nothing about talent though with the right. So oh, this is yeah. the reason I'm going to go with Durant's team is that I see it fitting and working more than I see the other team. Because it's, I see the Warriors. I've, I've already on. exactly. I've already seen Curry, Thompson, Durant, and Green dominate. It was pretty effective. Seventy-three and nine, multiple championships. I've already. Well, I guess Durant didn't go seventy-three and nine, but you know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. Multiple yeah. championships. That that puzzle already works. You throw James Harden in the mix, might cause a little <laughs> bit of complications. But with that being said, it's still just an immense amount of talent. I love that that LeBron group, but. At the end of the day, it just comes down to there's one basketball there. Yeah, that's, I think that's fair. If we and learned- I think I think when you look at what's unique about Curry, Thompson, Durant, and Green, is all four of them don't necessarily need the ball to be great. Durant yeah. can play off the ball, Thompson can play off the ball, Curry can play off the ball, and Green can impact the game literally without touching the ball. So obviously Harden is best with the ball in his hands, but that's what I would do. I would just let Harden be Harden and then – just space the floor and yeah, just dominate basically. That that's that's my take. I don't know what you got. Who handles the ball on KD's team? Do you let James run point? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously the usage is still a lot of it's going to Durant and Curry, but in terms of like I think you actually make a combination of Curry and Harden your your point guards. Let's imagine a scenario where James Harden and Draymond Green are running a pick and roll. And you have Steph in one yeah, corner, the space. Clay in the other, and Kevin Durant just somewhere. Yeah. Doesn't matter where he's at. Yeah, as much as I want to take the opposite angle just so we can argue about it, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. If we've learned anything from the Olympics, it's that you know a lot of talent doesn't doesn't always, always win. equate to winning. Yeah. So yeah, if you're gonna take the, maybe the greatest team ever in the 2017 Warriors and add James Harden, I'm probably gonna take that team. I like that take out of you. Um, I wish we could argue a little bit more about that. It's all right. You know, it's it's a uh, there's no need to create any animosity heading into this weekend. Let's I, just keep the positive vibes. I agree. The good vibe train rolling here. Um, long shot feature. This is a special one. Yeah. Well, an Olympic themed. My guy Ahmed Hafnoy. 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 With all due respect, I'm sorry for probably butchering your, probably, your yeah. name, Ahmed. Uh, but he is the Summer Games' most unlikely winner. He's an 18-year-old who was relatively unknown yeah. heading into the Olympics. Hardly qualified for the 400-meter freestyle and went on to win it. He was in the outer lane, lane 8, which I guess I'm not a swimming expert, but I guess puts you at like a severe disadvantage. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, you know, found his way to the top of the podium. So let me break down for you why the outer lane is such a disadvantage in swimming. I'm, I'm fascinated. There are this. a multitude of reasons. One, limited visibility. So think about these. You know, these guys are constantly checking the competition to understand where they're at, right? So I'm, I'm actually, uh, well, I'm, I'm interested to hear the other ones, but just for now, I'm going to push back on that first one <laughs> because I'm actually a strong believer in that. Like, you want to have the blinders on. So maybe being in that outside lane, it's just going to push you that much harder. 
Whereas like if you see that you're ahead of somebody, you might let up a little bit here or there. Or it's like the classic, what's the classic Olympic photo of like Michael Phelps reaching for the thing and then the other guy's looking at Phelps. Yeah. And it's like the, they put the little adage there of like winners focus on winning and losers <laughs> focus on winners. Like it's like that whole thing. If you're in lane eight, you can't even focus on winners. I don't know. Oh, the only thing you can focus on is, is running your race. Look. Swimming your race. I think that there's some validity to that. But I, it's undoubtedly an advantage, I think, to have an understanding of what's going on in the race. Let's be honest. Neither of us have spent any time in the water competing. I'm not sure that I could go down and back in an Olympic pool in like well, a, in a reasonable amount of time. I can certainly do that. I can swim. But, you know, I'm just saying. It's, it's remarkable. Which, you know, tangent here. I think at one point we need to have just a random civilian do one of these swimming races and just have that be the line on the TV yeah, the benchmark. instead of the world record. Yeah. So you can have some sense of what just a normal person would, would do yeah. this in. I agree. Um, so anyway, outer lane, limited visibility. But here's the other thing that neither of us would understand as a swimmer. There's so much action going on in the pool that you have these like waves and ripples going on. That I understand and a little bit. if you're bit. up against the wall. It's like reverberating. Yes, it it's a great word. Reverberating. Yeah. Let that be the word of the episode. Yeah. I, I That I actually understand. Uh, not that I would understand it from personal experience, but I can see how that would be a factor. Anyways, uh, nothing but love to Ahmad. Ahmed. Sorry, Ahmed, once again. Ahmed. Butchering your name. Uh, but, you know, he's taking home gold. That's pretty special. 100%. Where's, a, he, where's he from again? What country? He is... Tunisian. Tunisian. Felt right. And there is a video of his family... I think they're back home watching him win the race. That's elite. So if you haven't checked out the video, yeah. check out the video. Anyways, uh, we have some bachelor party festivities that we need to get to. Uh, as you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, Davis is already well, in his, uh, in his, I don't know what those are. Some sort of wind pants. Hold on. These are Olympic themed. This has nothing to do with the bachelor party. This is just team USA. I love that. That's great. Do those Represent. zip off into shorts? They absolutely do. That's special. It's a hundred degrees here in Kansas city. So these will be shorts. That shortly. is wow. The versatility. See what uh, I did there? Anyways, uh, enjoy this conversation with Bobby. He is uh, the people's champ. Simply put, uh, brought a lot of energy to the pod and I think you guys will enjoy it. He has one of my favorite quotes so far in any of our episodes which is you can't test what's inside my heart i don't think that was exactly what he said but it was something along those no lines. that i'm telling you that's what he said huh. well, it was a, and it was elite it inspired me anyways enjoy bobby welcome back into the long shot podcast we have bobby portis with us a former mcdonald's all-american and mr basketball in the state of arkansas he went on to the university of arkansas where he was named sec player of the year in his sophomore season a first round pick in the 2015 nba draft since then he's had a few different stops in his nba career but now he has cemented himself as a legend in the streets of Milwaukee, known as the people's champ by many. And now he's an NBA champion. Welcome to the podcast, Bobby Portis. Appreciate you, big bro. No, for sure. Uh, thank you for joining us, man. First and foremost, you know, we, we got to cover it right away. How's it feel to be a, an NBA champion? I ain't going to lie, bro. Uh, so we won a week ago today. And um, it's, it's been crazy. Uh, just the experience, um, it's the run we went on, the journey, um, just, you know, getting to the league, uh, trying to make a name, 
and then finally get to a spot where I feel like I'm comfortable there, where I can play my role and, um, you know, just be myself. Um, it's great um, having my mom and, you know, all my family and friends there to support me through the entire process. I think that's the that's the best part of it all. For sure. I mean, you guys, this team had a lot of scrutiny, right? And some of that you inherited because you weren't there for the previous years. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, obviously you show up beginning of this season, sign, a, I believe, a one-year deal, right? In, in yeah, two-year but second-year player option. Got you, got you. Um, and, yeah, I mean, and now all of a sudden you guys are, are in the playoffs, making a run, and amidst all of the scrutiny, you guys are start to play your best basketball of the season. Can you just talk a little bit about kind of the, the connection and the, the fluidity that you began to feel as the playoffs went on? Because I, I've learned that that's so important when it comes to winning and, and playing at a high level. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the, the previous couple of years, um, you know, the team, you know, they was the number one team in the East, um, number one team in the league, actually. And uh, they had a lot of pressure on them. Um, you know, there was a lot of, you know, saying that, you know, they can't win the playoffs, this and that. And, um, them losing in the second round and gets East Conference Finals, getting up uh, two games though, then losing four straight, all those things. And then um, this year, um, you know, the pressure really wasn't on us anymore. Um, you know, we were the third seed. Uh, you know, guys were just really talking about Philly, them being number one team. Um, talking about you guys, talking about um, you know Brooklyn with their big three, and um, we kind of flew under the radar a little bit, so it was kind of perfect for us. Um, you know, throughout the year we played good basketball here and there, but we didn't really have a, a good stretch. We'll win five games, six games in a row, then we'll lose four. Uh, win five more than lose four. Like, we never had a good stretch where it was just consistent. Um, but, you know, when we got to the playoffs, um, you know, I think our best basketball um, started to, you know, really shape and, um, and unfold. And um, I think that's when you want to play your best basketball anyways towards the end of the year. And um, it was fun for us, man. You know, everybody really had a defined role on our team. Uh, this was my first team where everybody really knew their role and everybody played their role to the best of their abilities. And, um, you know, that's why we was, um, you know, really, you know, victorious at the end. Yeah, you, you mentioned a little bit about how, like, the media and stuff wasn't really talking about you guys. And I think it's funny because at least we, we always acknowledge, and I think players around the league and teams around the league understand or understood how much better you guys were this year from previous yeah. seasons and that it was different. But there's always that disconnect between what's being said in mainstream media and what's actually happening. And I'm curious, like internally, like in your locker room, obviously there's a competitive side enough side of you guys, so you all think you're, you're good enough, but did you feel that there was that deep belief like this is our year? Um, like we always talked about winning the championship and being in the moment and just staying in the moment and things like that. Um, I mean, obviously, um, you know, as a competitor and as a a person that's only job is to get better every year. Obviously, like you're always fighting towards trying to win a championship. That's always, you know, your individual goals and things like that and and team goals. But you know, as a, as a whole, we never really talk about winning it. We just talk about um, standing in the now, uh, doing all the things necessary. Um, to get there, uh, I think Coach Bud did a good job this year of just you know just mixing things up on on the on the defensive end, switching one through five and things like that. Not just standing a drop the entire time and letting God destroy us and that. Um, just you know just giving you know the opposing players you know a different look here and there. So 
Um, you know, to answer your question, um, you know, obviously guys outside, um, guys that was within the league knew our team got better, but um, I don't think the media really kind of respected it a lot uh, enough. But um, us internally, we never really talked about winning a championship. We just talked about taking it a day at a time. And, you know, um, we got to this position that we're in now to be champs. Yeah, you talk about doing different things defensively. The addition of you, I think, unlocked a lot of that because mm -hmm. your versatility allowed you guys to have a different look. And that's one thing that, from at least my perspective, that made you guys so tough to prepare for is that you could play in so many different ways. You could play huge. You know, there were lineups that you, Giannis, and, and Brooke were all getting rolled out there at the same time. You could play small with you or Giannis out there, and you guys are switching everything one through five. You guys can play fast, get up and down. So for you, how was it – was it natural to just kind of fit into that role? I mean, you're a guy like – you're, you're asked to come off the bench. You're very obviously good enough to be a starter in this league. Was that, did that come easy? Did that come naturally? I imagine there's some, some sacrifice. There's some like having to come to terms with that, that kind of role change. Hell yeah. Um, you know, when you, so me coming from high school, I was, I was McDonald's all American and going to college player of the year. And then like, when you get to the league, you have to find a niche and role. You know, everybody's not going to be a superstar, not going to be an all-star max player type player so you have to suddenly find a role that you can fit in um, my first couple of years in the league i kind of struggled with trying to figure that out then my third year i, I hit it home i was found my niche and found my role um, coming to this team was more of a bigger sacrifice for me um because my previous team the knicks and the bulls and the wizards and things like that i was getting 12 13 14 shots a game and then i go from that to getting eight nine so i had to really just find other ways i could impact the game and impact winning um, you know, I really learned how to be a winner again coming here. Um, sacrificing is the biggest thing we want to win. And I had to sacrifice a lot this year. Um, took a big pay cut to come here as well just to try to get my name back going and just try to, you know, get some things going back for myself individually. And um, it all paid off. But, man, yeah, like sacrifice is the biggest thing this year. Um, obviously, you know, you always want more for yourself and things like that. But, you know, when you're trying to impact winning and win, I mean, there's no other way to do it then but to sacrifice. Yeah, people say all the time how important sacrifice is for winning, but it's yeah. almost like a cliche in that like it's easy to sacrifice until you are actually the one that's sacrificing. And it takes on championship teams, guys like yourself that are capable of having a bigger role to buying into being great in what they do. That's definitely something like you talk about finding a role. I mean, that that's like how I feel like I've been able to navigate the NBA yeah. and that I just I know what I am. I stay in my lane. I, I do what I do and I just try to do it at a at a high level. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I think that your journey, right, like you talk about some of your other stops. Sometimes it, it, that margin between like changing a, a perception is so fragile. Like yeah. you talk about even someone like a teammate of yours like Giannis, you know, he's you know, I can't do it in the playoffs. He's a losing player, all this, whatever, all this noise. And I'm not saying any of that is valid, but then all of a sudden everything has just changed as soon as you win. Like it's yeah. like that old saying, like winning just solves everything. I'm curious how you've, have you like able to like kind of wrap your mind around what winning this championship will do for your career moving forward? Yeah. Um, so obviously when you first get to the league, like you're all the veterans saying like, you know, winning is the most important thing. Like when you win, everybody wins. But you don't really understand that until you actually win. 
You know, like I've been on teams where, you know, we were a playoff team my first couple of years with the Bulls. Then they started tanking and started to, you know, they wanted, you know, higher draft picks and things like that. So nobody really respects losing like that. So you kind of feel that side of it. But, you know, this is my first opportunity, getting a chance to go deep into the playoffs, getting a chance to win a championship and impact winning. And, man, when you win, like, you know, everything just changes for you and your family. And uh, I'm just fortunate to be in this position. Um, you know, obviously, it was a long dream to get to this point. Uh, only my sixth year and still young, 26 years old. But at the same time, just grateful for it, man. Um, like I, I got a chance to feel what it feels like to be a champion. Like, in that feeling that you have when the buzzer goes off and everybody know that you guys won. You knew how, how hard you worked to get to that point, all the work you put in to be there, um, the sacrifice you made, you know, all the COVID protocols you had to do this year, staying in a hotel, testing, testing twice, and then to get to that point and to win. I mean, that's, that's, that's bittersweet. Bobby, you talk about all the ways that your basketball career changes. I watched Duncan's just celebrity change a little bit last year with yeah. the finals run. Just the amount of people in Miami who are recognizing him. You have taken that to another level, it seems. Like Duncan said in your intro, you're the people's champ. I think yeah. you're a legend in Milwaukee. A statue might be going up. So have you started to feel those? Like I assume you walk into any place in Milwaukee and you're getting swarmed now at this point. Yeah, so like, so like when I played for the Bulls, it was crazy too. But obviously winning a championship and... In a, in, a, in a small market team and um you know they they really appreciate all their guys man like um it's it's crazy when i go anywhere in milwaukee like i hear bobby 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 like they <laughs> outside of the gym like and it's, it's it's like it's crazy like after our championship game um we had went out and things like that for like the celebration and everybody in the spot was saying, Bobby, Bobby. <laughs> I'm like, bro, like, what? Like, like, bro, is this real life? Like, this is crazy. Um, I definitely feel it. Um, I haven't paid for anything um, here to eat yet. <laughs> so I'm loving it right now. <laughs> hey, I, I'm curious, man. I want to know what are like the next three, four days after winning a championship look like? Like, you don't, you don't have to disclose everything. Obviously, there's probably some things that are, you know, better left unsaid, but like, just give give the people like a general idea of what that looks like. You win the championship, obviously you do all the media afterwards and taking the pictures with your fan with the trophy and just in all that you won. And then that night we go out and have a a blast home. So we don't get in at 7, 8 in the morning, bro. Like, it was crazy. Like, and you're going out in Milwaukee? And this is my first time ever going out in Milwaukee. Like, I never okay. went out in Milwaukee besides that night. That was my first time ever. And I had a blast. I like it. This <laughs> and then the next couple of days, like, you have the parade and things like that. And still champagne getting piled. And it's just, it's like a, a, a indescribable feeling that you have. Like, when you see six, 700,000 fans, like, in the parade like that's it's next level like literally like I, i've never seen that many people in in one place in my life like it was it was nuts see because i was curious if like you guys would make a move to like a chicago or like maybe get on a flight to new york like you know like do something yeah. with all due respect to milwaukee like if, if you're yeah. gonna celebrate there's probably a better place to celebrate but at the same time at least you're celebrating in the market that you actually wanted so you're getting all sorts of love so i see both yeah, sides yeah of it. it's fun though i ain't gonna lie like i like milwaukee milwaukee cool though it's it's, it's better than people think it is you know it's, it's better than what it 
it's definitely better than what it is, man. Obviously, like, you know, the bigger markets have the better food places and, you know, the higher name food places and things like that. But um, being in Milwaukee is great. It's great people there. Um, you know, it's a sports town. They really love love their sports. Uh, they love all the guys on the team. You know, you know, sometimes you might go to the team where they only like the guys with the big names. So, um, you know, on, on, on in Milwaukee, they love all the guys, man. You go anywhere, you get love. Um, people cheer for you. Uh, they got your back and, you know, they're just fanatics, bro. Like, you know, sometimes it's like there's a difference between like uh, he's a fan and he's a fanatic. Like these guys really been fans forever, like generational fans. Like it's passed down through the line. Like, oh, uh, yeah, if you're from Wisconsin, you have to be a Packers fan. You have to be a, a Bucks fan. Like there's no other fans in Milwaukee but the Bucks and the Packers. So it's it's fun, man. Bobby, in high school, Duncan and I won a championship together, but we are 18 years old, so we were pouring water bottles on each other. I yeah. think there's a, there's a little more champagne when you win a championship in the NBA. I got to know, in your interview with Pat, how much champagne had you guys drank at that point? Because you got asked the question, and it was just- I was out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was out, I was out of there. Like, I only, I only, like, after I watched it the next day, I'm like- Damn, like I really did the interview like that. Like <laughs> they let me do that. <laughs> like we like we had a blast. Like we in the locker room, that was like, you know, like sometimes like with your friends, you might have like a get together and y'all hang out and have a good time, barbecue, whatever it was. It was like a party in the locker room, not gonna lie. It was like a, a party amongst all the guys. We just having a good time amongst each other. You got you got whatever you need right there. <laughs> For sure. Do they are they like allowing family and everything in the locker room or is there a moment where it's like this is just players this is just us celebrating like what we accomplished um so when we first got back there um, it was just players and then some of our family members started coming back um like from time to time too it was time for them to come as well so it was pretty packed and it was like a, it was a movie for sure for sure like yeah it was a movie I want to talk a little bit about your story prior to getting to the NBA. People see the accolades. You mentioned you're a McDonald's All-American, SEC player, of the, all that stuff. I want to talk more about the, the stuff that doesn't get talked about as much, which is the adversity that you go through and overcome to get to those points. You grew up in Arkansas. Just talk a little bit about like early on and whatever, you know, adversity comes in different forms um, that allowed you to really like embrace this underdog mentality that you now have. Um, just coming from Arkansas, uh, not too many people really make it to, you know, the NBA or make it to be a pro or whatever it is. Uh, we have we have a few. We got Joe Johnson. He's decorated uh, seven, eight time all star. We got Derek Fisher, five-time champ, but then we got Cordis Williamson and Sidney Moncrief. But um, after those four guys, um, I mean, you really can't name nobody else. And, uh, you know, I had big dreams and aspirations of being an NBA player. And I had all these goals written down, like, as a kid, like, I want to be a McDonald's All-American. I want to go to Arkansas. I want to be a Jordan Brand class. I'm playing a USA team in high school. And I had all these goals. I used to, like, show people these goals and – in high school and in middle school and stuff. And they looked at me crazy, like, bro, ain't no way you can do all that. Like, like no way. Like, from Arkansas, no way. And then by, like, the – by, like, my senior year in high school, like, January, I had all my goals checked off that I, that I wanted to do. Like, it was crazy. And um, just being from here, man, it, it's great, man. It, it gives you, like, another outlook on life, man. Like, 
as a kid, I I grew up in 18 different houses. Uh, my mom, she she worked tirelessly to take care of me and my little brothers. Um, she never complained, though, never, uh, never wavered, just always just worked as hard as she could to take care of us. We never, you know, we never wanted for anything, no food or nothing. That. We always had clothes on our backs and food to eat. But, you know, times is always hard. Everybody's situation is different. And um, with us, you know, it was pretty tough. But my mom, you know, she's the she's the true definition of hard work and being an underdog, man. Just I seen her never complain. I seen her just, you know, get up at three in the morning, um, come back, take us to school at seven, eight, go back to work, come pick us up at three, take me to work out at four, sleep in the car for a little minute while I'm working out and go do it all over the next day and for the rest of the week and for the rest of the month. So um, I seen her really just, you know, show me how to work hard. And that's how I'm in this position I'm in now. Shout out to mom. What's her reaction now that you're an NBA champion? How'd she take it in? Um, she's like my number one fan, man. So with her, uh, everything I do is just like she loves it. Uh, you know, uh, she supports me through everything, through the ups and downs. You know, you always need um, people in your corner that's going to be there for you when when it's high and when it's low. Um, and obviously, people, they'll always come around when everything's good. But, you know, my mom, she's one of those special people, man. You know, even when, you know, things wasn't going well for me, she's always told me to stick with it, you know, stay with it. And, um, you know, it'll always come around. And uh, she just always told me to work hard. So, um, you know, shout out to her for sure, man. Without her, I wouldn't, I would definitely would not be in this position I am um, to maximize my career and things like that. Um, you know, she she came to almost all my playoff games. And uh, my, my first couple of years in the league, my mom was still working. And uh, she was still working her three, three, four in the morning job because she wanted to. Like, that's just how she is. That's how she's wired. And then my third or fourth year, she um, she finally stopped working and things like that. So um, she was able to come to almost all my playoff games. So that was pretty special to her to be in the building. Yep. I, I assume now you can return the favor and, and take care of her. I Correct me if I'm wrong. I heard an a interview with you in the last week where I think you referenced that she came out and celebrated with you guys. She actually came out. So um, all my friends and family that was there with me, um, they all came out and had a good time too. Um, we had a little section, like we, we had the whole entire spot, man. And, um, they had my mom there, like, keep in mind, like, I've never seen my mom drink anything, like she, <laughs> a margarita or something like a frozen margarita or something here and there. But my mom took a couple shots with it though. So that was hey, <laughs> if there was ever a time, if there was ever a time, it's after you would have shipped. That was pretty impressive for sure. <laughs> Uh, you talk about in your senior year having all these accolades checked off and all of a sudden, you know, you're coming from an area, like you said, where not a lot of people are now doing what you're doing. How do you manage and handle not only the expectations that you're now putting on yourself, but the expectations that you're feeling from all over? Um, I mean, now it's easy, man, um, because... You know, in life, man, it's all about change sometimes. It's all about just adapting to your environment. Like, um, you know, when you want something in life, obviously you have to sacrifice too, but you have to adapt to what's around you. And um, I do a good job of, you know, not trying to listen to anyone else's expectations. Um, every year of my career and of my basketball life, since I was in ninth grade, I always try to write down my goals for every year. And um, after the season or after whatever season it is, I look back and see, which ones I had checked off and then the ones I don't have checked off, I move them on to the next year and try to get them again. So 
Um, I just try to keep myself, I just try to keep myself self-motivated in everything I do. But anyone else's expectations on myself or, you know, whatever I need to do on court to be successful or whatever they feel like I need to do. Um, I don't really listen to those. I, I used to when I was when I was younger because we used to watch, be stuck on ESPN and see this and see that. But now as I as I've gotten older, um, I've I've been easier to cope with it. For sure. Uh I'm I'm curious also like you know you reach the the pinnacle right of of the NBA and that you win an NBA championship you got people in Milwaukee you know screaming your name in, in bars in in the celebration I don't I don't question for a sec that you'll be complacent or, or comfortable because I know how you're wired just in this this short time that we've been talking but like how do you how do you still after something like this just add to the chip right like how do you still keep pushing that underdog mentality forward because man um it's a way of life um under underdog it's not in in, in sports so I, I i use it as a way of life man when you come from where you come from and when you work as hard as you can to get to you know where you want to get to and you overcome all those things uh, it's un that's the underdog story it goes for people that want to be inspiring nurse want to be inspiring doctor they want to be a firefighter wherever it is like i real I rip that for everybody. And um, if I stop now and just because we won or whatever it is, then, you know, I'm I'm giving up on myself because I know where I came from. So um, with me, I just try to stay self-motivated, um, stay in the gym. Obviously, I love basketball. I'm going to work as hard as I can to get better. And, you know, truthfully and honestly, like, you know, us as NBA players, that's our only goal every year is to add something new to our game and get better and stay sharp. So um, if I – stay stay complacent and stay content to where I'm at now. Um, you know, I just think that's a, a recipe for disaster. That's that's anybody in life and in, in whatever they do, when you have a little success, um, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, there there isn't there isn't uh, any more out there for you. So um just staying self-motivated and staying down and believing in myself and just keep working hard as I can because um, I want to play basketball at least another decade, another nine, 10 years. So um, hopefully there could be more championships. I got a taste of what it feels like and that feeling. I want that feeling again. Yeah, you said it right there in, in your answer, but it's still crazy to me how as a professional basketball player, really your only objective every morning when you wake up is how do I become a better player? How do I maximize this day to become a better player? And for me, like it's helped me think of it that way. It's helped me simplify you know yes. what I mean? Like the days and just that like, all right, let's just keep stacking. Let's just keep building. So with, with that being said, what's this now shortened really off season look like for you? We can maybe touch on the free agency stuff in a little bit, but yes. more so from like a, a personal development standpoint, you've shown what you can do in the playoffs. You've shown how valuable you can be for a contender from your personal standpoint, your game. What's it look like moving forward? Um, with me, um, obviously – well, training camp is in two months of tomorrow. I think it's like September 28th. So Crazy, bro. it's right around the corner. So with me, um, just trying to be in, just trying to be in as best of shape as possible. Obviously, that's a big part of you know our games is being in, being in shape as possible. And um, you know, just you know, keep stacking every day. Um, keep keep um getting better in every aspect of my game. Um, you know, obviously staying sharp on my shooting. Um, you know, that's one thing that can affect the game in as well. Um, keeping my motor high. That, that comes with, um, you know, being in shape as well. And then um, working on the ball skills, um, dribbles out the post, moves out the post, dance, drop on my three moves I love to do. I'm out of the post. Um, you know, it, it's real simple when you simplify the game and 
um, know your role or whatever role that, that you can fit on the team. Um, I think you're trying to just it kind of just gets better on that end. But for me, um, like I said, man, just um, staying in shape as much as possible. Obviously, take a take a week or two off um, now because it's been a long year. But um, after that, hit the ground rolling. Um, get right back to it. Um, keep my body right. Um, you know, being around Giannis and 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 Chris and Drew, um, just Giannis in general, man. Um, you know, he's he's really motivated me. Um, you know, to really get in the weight room and things like that. Um, you know, he's he's a he's a different beast, man. Um, I see a guy like that work every day. Um, you know, put the work in. I see him. Like I see greatness, and um, that just makes me want more. Like coming to the books, I, I watched him every day, and the things he does, um, he he works, he works, man. That's one thing people need to really understand. The man really works. Um, that's one thing I really take from him, man. He he really dedicates himself to this game. Um, he lives hard every day, keeps his body right, eats the right thing, and um, I, I just think that's a that's a perfect layout to 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 follow. Yeah, I uh, I stole this from from somebody else, but uh, it was a coach who said that an easy way to have a great culture is to have your best players be your hardest workers. So sure. that right there just sets the tone for everything down the line. When you first got to Milwaukee, what did you see different about not necessarily the team, but maybe just like the group as a whole, the culture that was being harvested there. Did it, did it, was it different than, than your previous stops? Hell yeah. You know, like when you playing on, you know, I hate to say like the tanky teams and loser team, but that's a real thing in the league. When you plan on, you know, teams that that's not playing for the playoffs or have aspirations of being champions. Um, so t- sometimes the coaches let things slip, man. Like they let, um, you know, defensive coverage slip or they let a, a offensive rebound or a fucking defensive rebound when you didn't box out slip or all these all this other stuff exiting out on the backside or whatever it is trapping the box wherever it is um they let things slip sometimes a lot of times actually um, when you're playing on a contender and playing on a winning team every every possession matters like everything gets simplified they want this and that from you like everybody knows their job and you have to do it and it's like when everybody's on, on one accord, the shit's beautiful. Like, the defense is easy. It makes everything easier on you. Um, when I know if, I, if I'm the low man, I go help trap in the slot line drive, I know that the top man's going to help me. So I can just get back to his man easily if they skip it. So it's just everything is just, just different when you're playing for, you know, um, a championship team that has that the aspirations of winning. Um, and then it just makes the game much more fun to play, too. Um, when I first got there, um, I knew I would love it. I would love it right off, man. Everybody was so genuine and everybody really, I, I could tell, like, I'm a people person. Like, I can sense, like, I can sense things with people, man. And um, I could, I had a sense that everybody was really hungry. Like, everybody was working hard. Um, you know, I've been on a team where people complain about this and that. Nobody complained about what time they had to be in and none of that. And everybody was just working, being going hard. And um, guys really coach each other up. So, um, you know, I think we had a, we had a player – a player-led team, man, and I think that really kind of helped us. Yeah, you mentioned accountability being a staple of, like, a good culture, and you talk about coaches, and, and at the end there, you talk about player-led. And, yeah. and I think what I've noticed about the, the best teams or most connected teams that I've been on is when the accountability is driven by the players. And that yeah. if, if you're missing trapping the box or, or if you trap the box and, and somebody doesn't sink and fill – They're going to let you know. 
Exactly. It's not it's not coming from you getting yanked out the game or coming from the coach no. saying you got to do that. It's coming from the guy who just trapped the box or even somebody else who who's looking looking by and saying, "Hold up. That's your teammate. That's your brother who just went and helped another one of your teammates." Like that's on you. That that's where the responsibility falls on you like, to to have his back. Like Chris Middleton, man, like like I can't stress enough how how important he was for me this year, man. Like I ain't gonna lie, like I played defense before, but like sometimes I would just try to get back on offense, try to get the ball again sometime, like when I was in the league. But now with him, like he's different, bro. Like he he really makes you lock in. Like if I miss a a, a fucking uh box out or something, he's gonna let me know. He's gonna show it to me. Like you should have boxed out or heard this and that. If I don't try to get every rebound that he on me, like if I'm not sliding on defense or trying to be a half ass, he on me like. I don't know. It's just like a different level of respect that I have for him now, um, knowing that he wants it that bad and knowing how locked in he is. And you know, he's the guy that don't really say much at all, but to his teammates he talks, but he don't say nothing on the court, but he sure be on my ass for sure. <laughs> <laughs> as uh as somebody who's been guarded by Chris Middleton for the last two years, I know how on top of his shit he is when it comes yeah. to details. Like normally throughout a game. I can catch people slipping here or there. You know what I mean? Like they just take a break, right? Because for yeah. me, it's like I just need that initial separation. And then once I have the separation, I can like kind of create space and find space. With Chris, he's always – seems like he's always locked in. And yeah. he's, not, he's, not, he's not the fastest either, but he's like physical and he knows he's like smart with how he defends. Um, but he he's dialed in, man. And, and the other thing too is like you mentioned it. He doesn't seem like a super vocal person, but it's interesting nah. to hear that he's driving a lot of that that stuff because you see, like, obviously there are animated, and I'm not, like, coming at anyone particularly, but, like, there's different ways to lead, right? Like, you can have the animated people that are are doing their thing, and I'm not saying it's all antics because I think you need that also, but it's, it's great to hear that somebody like Chris is kind of what's driving it behind the scenes, and internally it seems like you guys all acknowledge that for what it is. Hell yeah, for sure. Um you know, obviously everybody has their day. Um, Drew might say some some days. PJ might say some some days. Um, and and, and should we are we are know Giannis gonna say his things though. So, um, you know, I just think it's cool that you know all our vets, um, you know, guys that's you know been stamped in this league, been in this league a long time, and you know they've got to the playoffs and had their failures or ups and downs. They know what it takes to um, to get there. Um, all those guys be vocal and really just lead us. Um, into the right, um, into the right direction, man. You know, as a team, man, you need that um, to win. Um, we need guys being vocal. Obviously, you know, the coach can tell you what to do, and the coach can draw plays, but the coach can't go out there and play for you. So, um, you know, obviously, like we're the guys out there playing and playing our hearts out, and and um, you know, trying to be the best, you know, version of ourselves every night. So, uh, I just think just I just think that it's critical that you know when you're fighting towards that that. You know the guys that you're going to battle with are all connected, and you, and you guys can can communicate. And obviously, sometimes it's going to be some some rocky, you know, discussions. It's going to be some arguments. It's going to be some highs and lows. But at the end, it's all love, man. We all trying to win. We all trying to you know get paid. We all trying to take care of our family. So, um, you know, we can be doing something entirely different. But God had this plan for us to be basketball players. So, you know, we just need we just try to maximize it to our best of our abilities. It does seem like there's oftentimes this youth movement 
from front offices in the NBA, but I think like you guys say, it just goes to show the importance of having veteran guys yeah. who are yeah, like like you guys are talking about are willing to call you out, you know, know the ropes, can teach you. I think all, all I think stuff. all I think all like like young teams that's trying to rebuild, like instead of like drafting all young guys and things like that, like get you a couple, you know, young studs that you really believe in. And then, you know, it might cost to pay a couple guys to come in and for a two, three year deal to help groom these guys. You know, like I, I mean, I just I just think that's the that's the best way to do it. Like you see some teams like it's just all young guys and like ain't no way like you can win like that. I've been on teams where it's all of us is 23, 22, 24 years old. And we don't have no veterans that's been there to teach us anything. So, um, you know, when you're trying to, you know, rebuild a franchise, obviously, you know, you have to start with the draft and draft the best available player that you feel like that you believe in. But I just think it's critical that you bring in older guys that's been in the league, that's been to the playoffs, that's felt what it feels like to get there to, you know, put that battery in these other guys back to, you know, want them, you know, uh, to bring the best out of them as well. Because the other side of that too is, and you mentioned it, you see teams all over that are basically playing for draft picks, right? You know, ping pong yeah. balls, whatever you want to call it. But the the danger of that is the lack of accountability leads to just bad habits. Bad habits. Once you develop three, two, three, four years of bad habits, it's really, really hard to then Man. year year five and six say, okay, now we have some expectations because you guys are older, whatever. Now you got to play winning basketball. It's like that's no a hard way. that's a hard switch to just flip. Now you just change your coaches every time, blaming the coach when really it's not right. the coach. You know. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely a, you know, it's a problem, and, and I think that you see a lot of young players that have so much ability and so much talent, and that's why I always come back to like, I'm curious what you think about this, but like, situation is everything, and fit yeah. and opportunity, like obviously in, in all levels of basketball, but I think particularly as you move up higher because everybody can play, everybody has yep. ability, so it's like, who are you surrounded Man, by? Right, exactly. Where like all you need is the opportunity, the minutes, and the time, man, and, and self belief, and, and and the sky's the limit in, in, in the league. Um, you know, most guys get drafted hard. Like I know you was undrafted, right? Yeah, yeah. So most guys get drafted higher than you, and whatever it is. But you know, sometimes like you know, in the combine, like what kills me, like in the combine, you do all these testing. Like they do the vertical, they do all these testing, but. You can't test what's inside my heart. Like, you can't test if I'm going to be able to go out there and keep working through adversity. You can't test if I'm going to go out there and, you know, give my all to the team. Like, you can't – like, like some things you can't test in the combine. So, they do all these tests to draft guys or whatever, and the guys are slotted to go here and there. But, like, you just never know who's going to pan out. So, like, with me, man, opportunity and situation is everything, man. Like, I was on the team with the Bulls. I was out behind Joe Kim Noah, Pal Gasol, um, Taz Gibson. So all those guys just made me better. Like, obviously, like, I didn't play my first, like, two, three weeks there. But being around them, just seeing how hard they work, how hard they wanted it, like, that just made me want it more for myself as well and not give up because I said, oh, yeah, these Pal Gasol's in his 16th year. He's still going hard, like, you know. So just being around that just made me better. But like you said, man, opportunity and situation, that's everything, man, in this league. In life, and that's in life as well, man. Just opportunity and situation. 
Yeah, I, I just think there's different ways to develop. I feel like people try to look at development in one light, right? Like we got to give yeah. this guy, you know, he's our first round pick. We got to play this guy. We got to give him opportunity. It's like, all right, well, what if he's he's not contributing to winning? What if he's not yeah. actually impacting winning? Now all of a sudden, like we're we're doing him a disservice because he's not ready, but we're also doing ourselves a disservice because we're losing. Like yeah. and it, it's it's a slippery slope. But like you talk about your development playing behind guys who had done it at a high level and what that does between the ears and also just every day, like seeing how they show up. And obviously like you're, you're a unique person because you have that, that heart, that spirit that is like, you know, I love everything stacked against me, which is, is as much as it's talked about, people love to talk about that and it's cliche, but it's different when it's actually real and in practice. And I feel like you, I feel like you can see, like like truth always comes to light right like people can talk about oh, i'm an underdog because that's that's one of my biggest things i think is funny is like everybody pits themselves as an underdog no matter what yeah but there's actually like people that actually live it and it's it's cool to hear you say that like this underdog stuff it's it's not a it's not a season to season thing like this is a lifestyle yeah, it's a lifestyle for sure man it's just you know i i see it a lot too i see a lot of people like saying it and tweeting it and um saying this and that like i see a lot of guys that's like like bro like you had like way more opportunity than anyone else like you were a lottery pick like i already think that's a, a underdog you know like if you're a lottery pick then obviously like you're gonna have ample time to mess up like they had so much time to mess up and this and that and even if they that one team don't work out another team's gonna pick them up because you know they're lottery picks like and they still feel like there's some in them that they can get out of them so um, you know, just being an underdog, man, it's it's different, man. Like I really rep it. Like I was at the bottom, man. Like coming from Arkansas, nobody really thought I was gonna be a McDonald's All American SEC player of the year. Like I just I just tell like I told one of my best friends, he was my roommate in college, that I was gonna be SEC player of the year this year. And he was looked at me crazy. And this is my best friend. He looked at me crazy, like looked at me crazy. We talk about it all the time. I told him this year, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm not going to sign back with New York. Like, I'm just going to go to Milwaukee for $3 million. He was like, for what? And I'm like, because we're going to win the championship this year. And he was like, yeah, all right, bro. I'm like, you sound crazy. And then when I did it, I FaceTimed right afterwards. He was like, oh, this is crazy, bro. My bad. So everybody can't, like, everybody says that they're that, but it's different, man. Like, I've been, like, suspended in the league and everybody had this these these stigmas on me for you know like being a bad guy like that's an underdog like nobody believes believed in it nobody thought that I would get to the point where I am now in my career and now it's just what it is now for sure uh we'll we'll wrap it up here before we uh before we go before you go I want to ask when you look back on your career is there a certain point that you realize looking back had maybe even more significance than in the moment you realized in terms of like providing you a springboard for your success or, or help shape a perspective, whether it be like, you know, an experience or a relationship with a coach or something like that, that was really like instrumental in your career now looking back? Uh, I got a couple of them. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure it's three of them. My first one, my first one was um, in Chicago. Um, I wasn't playing as much. 
um, you know, like when you're not playing as a rookie and things like that, it's tough on you, man. Like coming from college, you know, you got a lot of men, you got to shoot the basketball as you want to shoot. So obviously, like I said before, you got to find your role and find your niche. I was on a team with Derrick Rose, Jimmy. I was on a team with those guys and they were playing and fighting for the playoffs and things like that. Um, and then I just like, asked, asked my coaches, Randy Brown and Pete Myers, like, you know, how do I get on the court? Like, I was asking all the time. They were just like, stay ready. Um, you know, always stay ready in this league. Just never know what's going to happen. Um, players get traded. Um, players get injured. They knocked on wood. Players get injured. Um, you know, crazy things happen in this league. You just never know. Um, this is a league that you like, – like, you just never know what's going to happen. Like, they might not love you next year. Um, so just stay down, stay humble, um, keep working hard. And then, like, I swear to God, like, I don't know if they jinxed it or not, but, like, a week or two later, like, Joe Kim – blew his shoulder out, and then I got in the lineup. It was, like, crazy. So just always staying ready, um, being ready in the moment, being ready for your moment, because it just takes it just takes one moment for you to, to you know, to to get noticed in this league and for a coach. Like, if a coach throws you out there for three, four minutes at, at the end of the game, like, that's not garbage time in the NBA. Like, people on, you know, the NBA Twitters or the NBA socials might say, oh, yeah, he's doing this in garbage time or whatever. But, you know, when you're a young guy trying to, Know, get some experience like all those minutes matter and you know when you go out there for three four minutes you know coach is still watching it in the game still watching who's doing that and um you know you earn more time by still going hard and showing what you can do in those minutes um that's the first one um another thing that kind of helped shape my career was the was the altercation with me and Miritich. um you know i had a lot of stigma on me that i'm a bad locker room guy i'm a bad teammate um, that I sucker punched and whatever it was, but all the guys that was there knew what happened. Even the front office knew what happened. Um, so, um, you know, just being in that moment kind of brought me to like a real low point in my life to where everybody was saying these negative things about me. And it kind of made, and it, and it kind of turned that light bulb in my head a little bit. Um, you know, it kind of made me go extremely harder than, than I, uh, than I was that, 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 um, that year, I had my coming out party for the in, in the league. I um, I really kind of you know got my name back right. Um, I had my best year of my career that 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 third year up until that point. Um, you know, start averaging double figures in the league um, and things like that. So um, that 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 situation right there, um, I just tried to turn that negative to the positive. Show guys that I can really play this game too. Because before that, um, I had up and down years. I really wasn't you know, established yet in the league. So guys was kind of writing me off and that really helped me. And um, this year, um, I mean, last year with the Knicks, um, you know, just being at home um, during the during the entire time, you know, my last game with the Knicks was like March 11, March 12, 2020. And shit, I didn't play another NBA game until December 23rd, 2020. So I was off like two, nine, 10 months. And um, having a chance to come home with my mom and my three little brothers um, just gave me a chance to, you know, really enjoy life again, um, to really enjoy um, being around them, to really enjoy and, and get back at peace in life. Man, I, I wasn't at peace before that. Um, I, I was high and I was low. Um, but now I'm, I'm, I'm more even killed now. I'm, I'm enjoying the journey, um, enjoying the marathon that I'm running, man. Everybody's everybody's race in life going to be different, man. And, um, I'm just running my own race. Man, I love it, man. That's uh that, <laughs> you that's dominated. 
You dominated that question. I was gonna say that's high level right there, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can uh, we can wrap it up right with that. You uh, you heard it here first, man, from the people's champ. Run your race. Uh, yes. Hey, I, I appreciate you joining us, man. I know you got all sorts of stuff going on right now, um, and all sorts of people, you know, trying to get at you. So I appreciate you taking the time to to chop it up with us for a little bit. Love, Brody. All right, be good, man. Enjoy the off season. For sure, you too. All right.